You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I'm very grateful for each of you tuning in today and support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole Community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. Everybody, I love reading and learning from others, which guides me to share a quote with you before we begin this episode. Today's quote is, God has given us many faiths, but only one world in which to coexist. May your work help all of us to cherish our commonalities and feel enlarged by our differences. And that's from Jonathan Sachs. Today on episode number 196, I interview another podcaster from the great state of Wyoming, Aaron Gray. Aaron is the host of Go BYO podcast. Aaron has really deep roots in Wyoming, which spread over several generations. As a proud resident of Wyoming, Aaron is bringing the life stories of other Wyoming residents to our great state through podcasting. Today, Aaron will share with us the history of his family, why he wants to share the stories of other fellow Wyoming Knights with the rest of the podcasting world. After hearing from Aaron today, you will certainly want to listen to some of his episodes. Aaron, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to see you and thank you for your time to join me today. Thank you, Stefan. I'm excited to kind of share my story a little bit with you. It's going to be fun. One podcaster talking to another podcaster. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking off air about all the pains and trials that we, uh, I would imagine all podcasters know and have uh, experienced. <laughs> yes, that's right. We're, we can be the podcast geeks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> now you are not living in Jackson, but right. you have some deep roots here in Wyoming. You live here mm -hmm. in Wyoming. Why don't you share with everybody some of your family background? here in Wyoming. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually kind of ties in to, I know you're going to ask me kind of how my podcast started. So my dad's side of the family, I'm a third generation Wyomingite, but my great grandfather actually came out here in the early 1900s and he uh, was just working and ranching. He actually came on the railroad from California to Sheridan where I now live. And um, he uh, kind of worked his way over to Buffalo and kind of an odd family situation. He had four kids right away with his first wife who then passed away. And then he remarried about 20, 25 years later and had four more kids. And that was where my grandfather came from. So yeah, there was a big gap there between the kids. So that's why I'm a third generation Wyoming. I, you know, people look at me and they're like, wait a sec, he came out, you know, in the 1900s, but then, so anyways, you know, so, um, and yeah, so that was my grandfather who was part of that younger four in Buffalo. And then, uh, yeah, my dad met my mom. My mom's actually a first generation American. She was adopted from South Korea, but her family was also their third generation Wyomingites from Buffalo as well, the Mike Sills. And that's where they met in Buffalo. And they kind of went off and did their thing in California, but found their way back to Wyoming. And I was born and raised pretty much up here in Sheridan. And uh, so 
you know, I tell this story about my family because my great uncle, who's part of that younger four, he compiled stories and kind of some documentation from his older half brother, who was about, you know, 20 years, his senior, which mm-hmm. is very odd as a brother. And, um, I was doing oil and gas work a couple of years ago and my family kind of gave me this book that this great uncle had wrote. And it was just fascinating about the, you know, his firsthand stories of growing up in Wyoming in the 1900s, you know, what Buffalo used to look like that area. Um, and, you know, working as a landman to just, you run into some really great, interesting people that also are third, fourth generation, and they've got some stories. And that actually was kind of that little seed in my head about a podcast. Cause you'd talk to some of these people and I've been told my great uncle has recordings of his brother, um, which I think is great. I think, you know, what a way to save history, even, you know, it could just be his hearsay, but, you know, and of course, uh, I think at that time, this would have been five you know, six years ago, Joe Rogan was starting to roll, you know, podcasts were starting to be a thing. And I was like, man, this would be a cool, you know, it was more of like a series. I was thinking about like, you know, getting with third, fourth generation Wyoming, you know, just talking about their family history and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, my, so my dad's side, we've got history out there in the Buffalo area. You know, my great aunt and great uncle still live there of part of that generation. And like I said, my mom's side, she was adopted. So she's a first, you know, she's a first generation American from Korea, but the mic cells were also out there in the Buffalo area. So interesting history. And thank you for sharing that, Aaron. Yeah. I would love to know what your family on both sides, on your mom's side, the, the Mike cells, is that what yep. you said? Yep. What were they doing during those three generations, mm. you know, from when they landed here to now, what were they doing to survive in Buffalo? Yeah. And then also your on your dad's side, what were they doing in that Buffalo area and Sheridan area to survive? Because Wyoming has an interesting history of way people did survive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know on my mom's side, the Mike cells, they were, I think they were a little bit after the gray. So, um, I, I imagine they, they have property, you know, they, I think they had property, so they homesteaded, so they were ranching, but I know right after that second generation, they were out of that. And, uh, you know, it'd be my grandfather. My mom's dad was in the Navy and that's how they adopted her. Cause he was stationed over in the Pacific there. I guess that would have been with that, that one. Anyways. Yeah. He was stationed out there. So after the Korean war, yeah, that's where I'm okay. And so he was in the Navy and I, you know, he was a career guy and I think that's pretty much all he did in Buffalo, but on my dad's side, they were a Jack of all trades. So like I said, the, my great grandfather, who was also Fred gray, he was a homesteader. Uh, They used to actually do lumber and then they actually did run a little coal mine out of Buffalo, which this is I always like telling the story as a landman because it uh, just shows you how far we've come in, in coal and natural gas. And anyways, that coal mine caught on fire. And of course, back in the early 1900s, uh, the only thing you could really do is just bury it and, <laughs> and, and suffocate those coal fires. I'm still told, you know, it's, you could find it, you, you know, you could find that old coal mine out there outside of Buffalo. And then I think he finished out, he was the county road and bridge guy for Johnson County. And then, um, you know, he had eight kids, so they all kind of branched out and did different things. But my grandfather ran the Indian campground that is still there. So it's like an RV campground. And man, he did that for 
Oh, I think he, yeah, actually my grandma still owned that even after he passed away. So he was a small business owner of the Indian campground that's right off the interstate in Buffalo. Why, um, why is it called the Indian campground, even with it being an RV park? Yeah, I have no idea. That's a great question. I think they bought it from the previous owners and that was the name of it. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. I'll have to ask my, my parents and them because they all worked, you know, that's, they just remember they worked on that growing up in Buffalo because that was the family business and yeah. Fascinating. Now, do you recall the title of the book that your relative wrote about growing up in those early 1900s? Yep. Never a dull moment. I, I bet there's lots in there that says it's, there never was a dull moment. Yes. <laughs> and it, I think the, you know, if you just put in the last name gray, I can't remember if Fred put his brother's name on it, you know, as a, as kind of a co-author, obviously, which would have been, I think his name was Claude and Fred Gray. Yeah. But yeah, never a dull moment. And do you recall any stories or a story in there that struck you as being memorable? So the most memorable one I know is because people would always tell me the story when I was doing oil and gas work, cause they knew the grays and one of the most I guess, infamous stories was in Buffalo, you could probably find these new clippings. They thought they had found a new native American medicine wheel and they, people were really excited. I can't remember the years, but people were really excited about, oh, wow, we found a new historical site, you know, up in the Bighorn mountains. And, you know, they were even, they were sending like professors and researchers up there and they were, you know, it, it was a big deal. They're like, wow, this is, you know, well-preserved medicine wheel and Claude Gray was visiting back and uh, he kind of heard the story of people who had been finding this medicine wheel. And he kind of was like, no, 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 no. He's like, I made that because they were running sheep and back in the day. They were herding sheep up and down the Bighorn mountains. And, uh, you know, people thought he was just fooling around and making stuff up. He's like, no, 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 no. And I'm pretty sure he was able to go up there and pick some rocks some piles of rocks that he had put some coins under. And he's like, no, he's like, look, I can tell you, I put coins under these certain points. He's like, I built this medicine wheel because, you know, as a sheep herder, I, we had moved him up the mountain and we were kind of just grazing and I was bored. I think he was a teenager at the time. And so he made this infamous medicine wheel and, you know, kind of proved like, Hey, this isn't a, this isn't a historical site. You know, this was just me as a young kid making a medicine wheel. And I think that's one of the funniest stories just because they've got news clippings. He had proof of, I'm pretty sure it was like coins or something that he had put under some rocks. And uh, if any of your listeners know of the Basque sheep herders and things like that's kind of, you know, they make those monuments and things like that with rocks. And so that that's one of the most memorable ones in the book that I think is pretty, pretty funny. And it, it just connects with me because I've seen those, I've seen the Basque landmarks that they used to, that sheep herders used to use for, you know, section corners or just, you know, landmarks of knowing where they are. And so I can just picture, you know, and I imagine actually now that I, you've got me recalling, I wonder if my parents have actually taken me up there and see, this is where when you're a kid, you don't really know what's going on. But now I'm mm -hmm. kind of thinking, imagine my dad has taken me up there and has probably told me the story, but you know, as a young kid, I'm like, I don't, don't know the significance of people thinking it was a real medicine wheel, but uh, yeah, that one's a uh, pretty memorable. And do you have any idea or recollection what got your family into sheep herding? Why? Yeah. Sheep? 
yeah so they you know when fred gray was out he so he landed in sheridan and he kind of really worked his way south he was kind of in piney creek first so which mm -hmm. is a little south of sheridan and then just kept going south past buffalo and from what i can understand it was right when the homestead act was really moving and kind of some deals that were made were you could work for somebody that was a bigger rancher and they said hey the deal is you prove up this section of land which was the homestead act but and we'll kind of pay you feed you you know you can work in our ranch you know run our livestock but by the time you you know you get the title like the homestead act you exchange that and then they would kind of do it again you know there's so much land out there and they were really trying to get those homestead acts going that that was kind of the deal and that's what the gray family did and so they they did cattle but they also you know that area out there in johnson county was quite a few basque and sheep herders so uh -huh. they did both and then you know then they like i said they kind of went jackson trades they did some lumber stuff and uh, they ran that coal mine for a little bit so the great grandfather fred gray was kind of a jack of all trades doing it all but kind of just trying to survive but that's yeah. from what i could tell <laughs> Have you ever seen pictures of the house or the structures that they lived in that he raised these kids in? So I don't think any of them, let's see, there's some pictures. Yeah. In the book, there's some pictures. And then they actually built a cabin as well up in the Bighorn mountains. And there's pictures of that when they were running, when they were running the lumber and the sheep herding, that was a great team effort with my great uncle, Fred and oh, oh shoot. I'm going to butcher her name, Margaret. Cause they're also, they, so the book was a great historical combination of, I believe the Hess ranch, the TA ranch. Oh, and another one. And cause they have historical documents that kind of prove some of the stories or the era. And mm -hmm. so that's where some of the pictures come from is those families and those ranches. I'm really blanking on that last one, but cause like they, there's pictures of their sheep wagon, which I believe one of those ranches still has one of the original sheep wagons left. I mean, it's oh, cool. Yeah. So there's photos of places where they lived and it's hard to say when you're talking to people, but there, there are still buildings out there, you know, structures, obviously you couldn't live in them or anything like that. But so it gives you kind of a perspective of how far out there they were, Powder River Basin. So, yeah. And did you attend any university here in Wyoming? I did. So I, I got my associates from Sheridan College and then okay. I... Uh, went online to the University of Wyoming and got a degree in natural resource management. And it was through the business and agriculture schools. Yeah. And now living in Sheridan, you're hosting a podcast about Wyoming, Go Be Wyoming. Yes. And it's the website is gobyo.com and, and it's a podcast. So people could search Go Be Wyoming podcast and find it or they could find it on all the main channels, correct? Yep. Yeah. You know, our website is probably, I don't know, oh, by the time you release this, it might be up, but yeah, it's, that's our website. And then, yeah, we are on all audio platforms and obviously YouTube, if that's more your game, but yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. We're talking the family history being a jack of all trades. You know, I, like I've said, I was doing oil and gas work, still an oil and gas land man, if that comes around and, and then a personal trainer, been a football coach here over at Sheridan. And then I run a podcast. So <laughs> a lot of different things going on, but keeps me busy. Personal trainer. Football coach, what what football age group were you coaching? So I did a lot of a ninth grade, which is part of the high school here at Sheridan. So that's 13, 14 year olds and then helped with the varsity staff as well. So that whole high school range. I, I tell you, it's people like yourself who find multiple ways to just live life and work and 
keep things going and being a part of the community. That's what makes a community. It takes people like yourself who are so involved in their community to, to build it and make it thrive and alive. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think Wyoming really has an environment, you know, that allows for that. I think, you know, there is this bad stigma that we lose our young people to whatever, but I think for those that stay and are involved, you know, I think there's opportunity if you want to do it, but yeah, the trick is you got to stay busy. You got to do a lot, <laughs> a lot of multiple things, but wouldn't have it any other way. And you were telling me that you started this podcast with a friend of yours. Yeah. So like I told you about the book, the family history, you know, so that kind of planted the seed a little bit and I was doing oil and gas work. And so I really kind of sat on it, you know, a podcast idea for probably a year. And then of course, as everyone knows, 2020 took a rough turn for everyone with COVID. And, you know, we were sitting there in the fall of 2020 and I got with a friend of mine and we decided to kind of just go for a show. And our first couple stuff was more for education. As everyone knows, 2020 was a big election year nationally, but in Sheridan County, there was quite a few elections going on as well. You know, we had big, I think we had three seats open in the county commissioners, three seats on the school board, three, yeah, three in the you know, city council, the mayor. So, I mean, I mean, it was, everything was wide open and us being younger guys with kind of that interest, that political interest, we kind of realized like, man, no one's for younger people that are now voting, what a wild time to be voting. Cause you might not have any idea what a county commissioner does. You might like, you might not even know what a city council member does, you know, let alone you're voting for governor, you know, representative and so on and so forth. So that was kind of our goal when we started. And then of course we're interviewing candidates and things like that. And then they kind of just morphed from there, but he was with me for Zach Gale shout out. He's a junior high teacher and he had to step away because he got his first year teaching and teaching is just so much work. And, uh, he wanted to do really well at that. And I appreciate him for, you know, being humble enough to do that, but we had fun that first year and a half. And what's your, your cadence for your podcast, for people to have an understanding of how your episodes come out. Cause I do one once a week. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're trying, we, at first we had no cadence, <laughs> we had no schedule, <laughs> but then, yeah, we realized, okay, Hey, we got to find some sort of frequency here. So we are also once a week. Okay. You know, I think like you were saying off air, I think we've missed just a week or two here, you know, maybe it's vacations or we just didn't have somebody lined up, but we try and just keep it at once a week, you know, and now I guess. It depends on, yeah, no, I just, yeah, I'm talking too much, but yeah, it's once a week. That way it keeps it simple for everybody. <laughs> Aaron, you're not talking too much. The, this interview is about you talking. Yeah, about. right. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I'm not a very good guest. That's the, it's, oh, you're doing great. You're yeah, this is awesome. And so you are interviewing people now across the entire state. Correct. So, you know, at first, like I said, we started pretty local, you know, we kind of wanted to just see one, did, could we gain any traction? You know, would people really be interested in that kind of stuff? And there's definitely an interest. And so we took that as, okay, well, so there's definitely that educating side. And that was one, I should say, that was one of our biggest goals from Zach and I is yes, everyone has your political leaning and that'll come out, but having that self-awareness of, we just want to educate, you know, and that, cause that was our biggest thing is people didn't know, you know, people didn't know candidates. They didn't know what the positions are, how local government works. And then also, 
that, you know, I would imagine your show is the same. Sheridan, we realized like, holy cow, there are some interesting people that live here, that work here. And then, of course, once you start doing just any sort of minimal connection to the area, you're just like, holy smokes, you know, we've got to expand the scope a little bit because there's just stories to be told. And, and you know, we're thinking to ourselves, you know, if that's just Sheridan County, you know, that's got to be the whole state, which, you know, there's, uh, there's always... Everyone knows the top Wyoming celebrities, I guess, you know, of course, but so, yeah, so now I would say our show is kind of a cultural lifestyle. Of course, we'll take the political, you know, the politicians once they want to come on and get on their soapbox, but I'm trying to think, you know, like one of my most favorite ones, great friend of mine is Sam Morton, author of where the rivers run North. Like what a great, that was a great interview and a great book. You know, I'm trying to think of it. It's tough when you've done a hundred and you said you've almost up to 200 episodes and to think uh yeah you got to think back you're like yeah <laughs> i was talking to my brother one day and he said well who's coming up this week and i was like i was blank i had, yep. i couldn't recall it happens you're you know and a lot of research goes into it too you want to be prepared at least a little bit of your guest you know oh here's like you know uh, a, a sheridan celebrity would be like tom balding you know he's been on the discovery channel and pretty world renowned for his bits and spurs. Yeah. I mean, just, and that's a Sheridan alone. I mean, I imagine you've talked to wonderful people on your show too. That's just like, wow, like how that connection works. You know, it's a small world as people say, but I think Wyoming is even, you can do two, three degrees of people and you're like, holy cow, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing now. And we are looking to do a little bit more of that educational. I will say we kind of got away from that a little bit, but we're starting to kind of, you know, plan that out a little bit more on, on whatever that is, you know, cause again, I think people need that and people want that, the, you know, informative educational, you know, type show. Now, Aaron, I want to learn more about some of the guests that you've had. Yeah. And how it's covered the state of Wyoming as well. Sure. But before we get into that, we're going to do a quick word from one of our sponsors and then we'll Perfect. be right back. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce, aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County, ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Change begins with each of us, one day at a time. Aaron, welcome back. I'm so enjoying learning more about Wyoming because you cover the whole state of Wyoming. And there's a lot of small communities here that make up the state. I mean, the big places are, of course, Sheridan's one of the bigger communities, Cheyenne, Casper, Laramie. But then you get in Rock Springs, yep, one of the bigger ones. But you get into some of the smaller places like Matitsi, Pinedale, I mean, pretty small community, pretty close to right here. Grable, I mean, not a large place. I mean, how many people is Buffalo, out of curiosity? Oh man, they're pretty small as well. They're about the size of like Cody Powell, probably a little smaller. 
Yeah, they're probably growing now. Let's just like everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they're about, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> it's all good. They're pretty small though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these places have few hundred, maybe just, you know, a handful of a thousand mm -hmm. people that live there. And you said that you had just interviewed Miss Wyoming, who's out of Pinedale. Yeah. So Miss, Miss Teen Wyoming. And I actually okay. had a friend of mine, I was actually on a spring break, but we had it lined up in, a, in advance for a while. A Taryn Thatcher, I hope I'm saying that right. I think she's out of Pinedale, but it was along with Miss Wyoming, who's out of Casper, but uh, Mackenzie Kern, but uh, that interview was great to listen to for me because I didn't interview her, but just getting to hear how she grew up, you know, in a small Wyoming town and how she got into pageantry, what that's been like and given her experiences as she is now in college and, you know, get to go out into the real world, as we say. So it's just fascinating, you know, where some of these great people come out of, you know, and I just had, he's a distiller, a local distiller in Wyoming down in Carpenter, Wyoming, uh, which is, is Carpenter, Wyoming. Yeah, it's in that it's in that southeastern corner. Mike Borg was with our cola distillery was joking with me that he could step into Nebraska, Colorado <laughs> from where he's at. He's pretty down there and he is the smallest legal distillery in the United States. It is 12 feet by 14 feet. So small little operation and yeah, and Carpenter, this is a cool story for you, Stefan. So he, Arcola, he came up with the name because Arcola, Wyoming used to be a little town out there where the railroad runs through there before Cheyenne and, uh, the storm. Oh, what was that big storm? The winter storm? Yeah, big winter storm that was very historic. I heard stories about it, like snow was blowing in through people's keyholes. Yeah. Like the National um, Guard had to come and rescue people. Yeah. They found cows like frozen. Yeah. Like, once when it's, it took months for it to free to thaw out and they found mm -hmm. just cows, like not just cattle, but other livestock just frozen. Yeah. Like, yeah. And gosh, I can't remember the year. Anyway, so Arcola was there that storm comes through and he said that since it was pretty close to Cheyenne, that relatively speaking, everyone moved out of Arcola and, you know, it left that small area. And that's how he came up with the name because Carpenter's kind of near where Arcola used to be. And so I thought that was very fascinating. That's how he came up with the name. But yeah, I mean, it's Carpenter. I had to ask him because, you know, even being a Wyoming guy, I'm like, where the heck is Carpenter? Yeah. Because you don't run into many people from there. But yeah, I mean, it's in that southeastern corner. And then, you know, talking to Buffalo, I had a kind of a, you know, sports legend, uh, Chris Przinsky, who now lives here in Sheridan. That one was fun. You know, I didn't mention this to him, but I remember since my parents are from Buffalo, we would go watch University of Wyoming football games and he was playing at the time. And I remember, you know, him getting into the NFL. And so getting to interview him was really cool because he's kind of a, you know, like that role model, local Wyoming hero from Buffalo, Wyoming, and there's multiple like that, but that one just popped in my head also from a small community. You don't hear about Wyoming producing a lot of professional sports athletes. Yeah, you know, it's very hard, but I will say we've got there, there is quite a few, you know, him, Brett Kiesel comes to mind from Grable, of course. Oh, who's the basketball? Well, that's the university. I mean, the University of Wyoming, if you tie that in, there's quite a few that have made it into pro leagues, but yeah, very few, you know, it's, I think uh, some people don't realize how hard it is, but I will say uh, we do produce very successful players. You know, Brett Kiesel had a long 
nine, 10 years with the Steelers, won some Super Bowls. Chris had eight years, you know, played a long career in the NFL. So, and of course there's, you know, if we just connect the university, you know, Josh Allen and well, shoot Logan Wilson out of Casper just played in a Super Bowl. So I, He's a Casper kid. So we don't have very many, but when we get there, when we get a chance, seems like the Wyoming kids make a difference, you know? <laughs> yes, they do. That's right. They're born and bred tough out here. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, my kids, <laughs> it could be, I don't know, 40 degrees outside and I'm bundled up and cold and they're wearing shorts and a t-shirt outside. Yep. They don't care. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> De coaching is definitely, uh, I don't know if it was when I was playing, I was tough or what, but when you're coaching in that weather, uh, you're bundled up, you try and be tough, but sometimes you're like, you know what, maybe that's age getting to me, you know, wising up a little bit, you know, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to bundle up this time. It's, it's a little colder than I think it is. Now, something that's un unique to Wyoming is when kids are playing sports, it's not as though there's another school for a few places, there's another school maybe 20 minutes away, but for most, right. it's not. You're talking about hours. So being a football coach for that for the age group that you were part of. Could you share with people what the travel was like? Yeah. And you know, the 4A, so Sheridan being one of the bigger schools, so you got to go play the bigger, bigger towns. And, you know, really any Wyoming athlete and any coach in Wyoming knows this because regardless of size, you're traveling all across the state. But for example, for people, Sheridan to Rock Springs is an eight hour car ride, you know, now add bus, you know, we're looking at, you're looking at a nine, 10 hour just to get there, let alone Oh, hey, you got to play a very competitive football game. And, you know, for Sheridan, there used to be Evanston in 4A. So that would be two different trips that you're taking eight hours. And then, you know, Cheyenne is still a good five and a half, six hours on a bus. You know, then the closer teams, Casper, Gillette are really two hours. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's funny when you talk to people either moving here or when you talk to other coaches and such that are you know, really just across the country. I'm not really, a, uh, Nebraska is kind of similar. Like you said, they've got their whole league in an hour's driving distance. So when they hear eight hour drive, they're like, you know, what are you guys doing for sports? And it's like, well, that's, you know, Rock Springs, there's only eight, four, 18, or now there's nine, but there, that's it. We only have nine in the whole state, let alone this hour radius. So, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. I think all sports in Wyoming, that trip, the traveling, it's a grind and it's different, you know, I think mm -hmm. compared to across the country and, you know, 4A is not alone. I'm trying to think of some six, just the six man teams, the small, smaller communities, they're driving eight, 10 hours to go play a six man football game. So that's right. Yeah. It's crazy. Expand on that a little bit. So a smaller community, they don't play the same type of squad on the mm. field that the larger 4A teams do? Yeah, it depends on the size, you know, so we've got a six-man league and it gets confusing because sometimes depending on the size of their classes, they might get bumped up to the 11-man 11, 11 1A and then you just go up from there to 4A and that gets, you know, there's, you see multiple schools bounce back and forth between 1A and six-man just because of the size of the school and the size mm -hmm. of the town. And that's it. Wyoming doesn't have that I'm aware of. We've never done like eight-man, nine-man, like in Nebraska, South Dakota, they do like eight-man football to 11-man. And then 1A all the way through 4A, they're all 11-man football, you know, formats. But they change every year. You know, I think like we're, we're probably going to be seeing 
a lot of 2A schools be bumped up to 3A because they're growing, right? I think, you know, Buffalo might be one. It happened to Bighorn, you know, up here recently. So it's it fluctuates a lot. Now, let's go back to your podcasts and yeah. some stories that you've helped share. I love history and I love people's family history and mm. learning about you, your history, you being a third generation and about how your family work just they just did whatever to be able to survive here yeah i'm really curious of you speaking to other people throughout the state of people who are probably who might be multi-generational as well do you recall one or two stories that you would want to share with us where it piques some interest and people can go find and get a little bit more depth from mm. listening to those podcast episodes for you yeah for sure so the two that came to mind you know this it's an old one, but a great one is with Donnie and Ryan King of King's Rope and Satterley here in, in Sheridan. They are, are they fourth generation of the Kings? But they had great insight of how that started, you know, with the first, first two generations of the business and, you know, what it took to grow that. And then kind of, it was kind of a really cool kind of prodigal son type. They were young. You know, they obviously had worked in the family business, but they had the courage enough to go out and get new experiences and then come back and, you know, take those experiences they got elsewhere and keep the family business going. You know, I think that's hard, you know, keeping a family business running is tough, especially when I'm pretty sure they are fourth. So, I mean, that is pretty, uh, pretty strong legacy and just how that's actually kind of very different from hearing from, you know, maybe like a ranching type business, you know, yeah. Contrast that with actually a Dave Kane, who is now the president of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association. He is a third generation and his son grew up with me who will be a fourth generation. And you want to take a different look at how to preserve a legacy. Uh, that one with Dave Kane was great. We covered a lot more of the Wyoming stock growers, but he t- talks about family legacy and keeping that going. And then I know I talked, I've already spoke on Tom Balding, but his story on how he got into making bits and spurs is just hilarious. You know, it, his neighbor comes over and just says, Hey, can you make this real quick? And all of a sudden, as people say, that's history, you know, and he ran with it. And, you know, I don't, I will say, I don't know if people know that story about him and his business. So that, that was fascinating. That wasn't really a family him, but anyways, yeah, the Canes, I would say Dave Kane and the Kings, you know, for some history there. And for people to understand, there are not a lot of businesses that make it past one generation. They get handed down. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for a business to stay in a family for four generations is truly a monument to the family itself. I'd love for you to share. Not everybody is familiar with King Ropes and Sherry. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about why is this rope company, you know, of importance in Sheridan, Wyoming? Yeah. So I might butcher this, but so the original King, Don King was, it was saddles. So he was a great leather worker and it was kind of one of those things like how any business starts. It was kind of just a side gig, side hobby. I believe the Kings were ranchers out here, but he just was really good at the leather work and he got in with the rodeo crowd and the, you know, the rodeo crowd really wanted him to work on their saddles and any other sort of uh, leather work. And kind of made a name for himself. And I'm pretty sure if I remember, yeah, he opened up just a little storefront 
in on Main Street where the original is, and I believe the museum is now in. And so he was doing saddles and then, oh shoot, Donnie and Ryan kind of talked about how they started making ropes because they make ropes in there and uh, kind of, you know, as a tack shop. And uh, so the saddles were getting pretty world, you know, world renowned, winning a lot of awards. And then I believe one of the wives thought about, hey, we should kind of preserve some of these saddles and some of this work. And so they made a museum, which is there in the store on Main Street. And then um, lately, Kings has just blown up. They're still a full, fully run tack shop ropes. You can still get saddles. For whatever reason, all of a sudden, the hats, those trucker hats, just started blowing up the last 10, 15 years of people driving through Sheridan, stopping, grabbing a King's rope hat. And now, you know, talking about family legacy and changing how do you, as the fourth generation, keep the business going? You know, now they're taking advantage of the brand. You'll see nameless celebrities, I think, in the episode. They talk about the Zach Brown band, I'm pretty sure, might have hats. Johnny Depp has a King's Rope hat. And it's like they've probably never been in Sheridan. But for whatever reason, it's like it's like American, you know, Americana culture. You know, you got to have your King Rope trucker hat. And so hopefully I did them justice there. Anyone listening should go check it out because I, I probably butchered that whole history there, but they still have a museum. Like I said, they've got a museum, a full museum of the early King work. And like I said, they are a full operating tax shop. So you can get ropes, you can get, you know, saddles, all that good stuff. So there was a funny story. I think Ryan King was telling me that above the store used to be a brothel. I'm pretty sure in historic Sheridan. So they remember, they kind of remember that growing up, you know, that I'm pretty sure they uh, I think it was still kind of running. So anyway, it's kind of a funny, you know, it's been there for so long that they've seen some changes on Main Street there. I'm sure their wives have ended that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Not operating anymore. <laughs> sure. Well, Aaron, I love how you are helping tell stories and preserve the history of, of Wyoming as well. R- remind us again of the website of your podcast and the name of your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So the website, you can just type in www.gobyo, that's G-O-B-E-W-Y-O.com, or you could just hit in the Google bar, G-O-B-E Wyoming, Gobe Wyoming, and it should pop up. Um, same with on any audio platforms, Go, you can type Gobe Wyo or Gobe Wyoming. And then we do have a YouTube channel. You can find us on Facebook. We do have a Twitter and Instagram. And uh, yeah, no, it's, and like you asked, we try and get stuff out every week as much as we can. So make sure you're, you know, following and subscribe so you don't miss something coming out. And can people connect with you through your website? Yes, there is. There is a contact page there or, you know, message me on any of the social media platforms that goes just directly to me or best way is email G-O-B-E-W-Y-O at gmail.com. So that's gobyo at gmail.com. And yeah, like if you want to come on the show or you know somebody that I should have on the show, I love those. I love getting, hey, you need to interview this person or, you know, have you looked into this history of Wyoming and we'll try and make it work. That's super Well, thank you, Aaron, for your time and what you're doing to help preserve the history of Wyoming. And it's a great honor and a privilege to get to talk to another podcaster here in Wyoming. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, no, there isn't. It's a small group. No, thank you, Stefan. I really appreciate it. And, you know, we will go be wild. We return the favor at some point as well and have you on and we'll talk about your show. But no, I really appreciate it. I'm glad we connected and got to do this, you know, kind of learn about each other a little bit. That's right. Yep. We'll take care and have a great day there in Sheridan.
Thanks, you too. Yep, All right. we'll talk soon. Good to see you. Bye. Bye. To learn more about Aaron Gray and Go BYO podcast, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 196. Thank you, everybody, who helps keep this podcast on the air. That's all of you listeners who are out there sharing this podcast, spreading the word. I hear from you whenever I'm walking around town. It truly warms my heart. Thank you, everybody. Send us some feedback on Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you, of course, to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William. It is summertime. We are enjoying it around here. And the magnificent, amazing editor and marketing director of this podcast, Michael Morey. Everybody, I truly appreciate you dropping in today, listening, giving me your time. And I really look forward to seeing you back right here for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.